accidentally somewhere along the line of my growth as a social entrepreneur and a social impact producer and investor, one day in educating uh, prospective investors and telling them about what our vision was, I blurted out this question a little bit differently than we say it now. And I went, isn't there enough? And the room got very silent and my life changed dramatically within a matter of weeks. You're listening to Getting It Wrong to Get It Right. Daniel, welcome back to the show. Since their first conversation six, seven months ago, I think our lives have changed for the better. Well, mine has anyway. And I only felt fair to bring you back so we can really, really talk about, you know, is there enough Impact Launchpad and the future of agreements and how we can change this world we live in. It's so nice to be invited a second time to a place, then you really know there might be some value that's brewing there. And uh, um, I understand in the inauguration of this uh, show, you're going to have one of my mentors on pretty soon, Marsha Martin, um, which I'm really glad for your audience to have the opportunity to hear her legendary impact on impact <laughs> and transformation and consciousness, and also see me as one little iteration of Marsha Martin's work that I've taken in a further direction from the seed that was planted. And much of what you've experienced about our conversation is a smoothie of various influences as, as, as she is. Um, obviously, Buckminster Fuller being the primary one, because we think that the two organizations you just mentioned, Impact Launchpad, Is There Enough, are really the world game organization. And there's a lot of world game activities out there. We're far from the only one. We should see lots more world game activities going on, but that's how we think of what we're doing. Well, look, people are going, what's the world game activities? So elaborate on that for us, please, and we'll start from there. Sure. <clears throat> the simple concept of a world game is that it's an opposite of a war game. And before you have war, you have war game exercises. So before you have a world that works, you need world game exercises. And Buckminster Fuller, who, um, you know, the, the, the great design scientist of the 20th century, um, certainly you'd include him in the top 100 minds of all time, uh, an Einstein-like genius. Um, he said it was possible for all of us to survive and thrive with our existing resources. And he posed the objective of that game as how to make the world work for 100% of humanity. And he added a few conditions to it as well. He said in the shortest time possible, through spontaneous collaboration, so it wasn't a nation-led thing, but something that would come from the people. <clears throat> That's how I interpret spontaneous collaboration after studying it for 30 years. And without ecological offense or disadvantage to any individual. Those were all of his conditions for how to reach the world game, how to make the world work for 100% of humanity. And that's a seed that was planted in me 30 years ago by students of Buckminster Fuller, Marsha Martin being one, um, who planted the idea in my mind as a young entrepreneur that one could use business and entrepreneurship to make social change, which was a complete revelation to me at the time because all I was doing was chasing money so I could live a good life. <laughs> and uh, 30, 30 years later, uh, we have a plethora, thousands and thousands of uh, really admirable individuals um, and organizations who are focused on how to use capital and entrepreneurship and innovation to pick up the slack of what I would suggest are ineffectual governments and international organizations that are not meeting the needs of human survival. And so part of that is involving the raising of capital, because money does sort of speed up things happening. But to raise capital requires agreement. And even if you have the capital, if you don't have agreement, you're not going to be able to implement on that capital. And so accidentally, somewhere along the line of my growth as a social entrepreneur and a social impact producer and investor, one day in educating uh, prospective investors and telling them about what our vision was, I blurted out this question a little bit differently than we say it now. And I went, isn't there enough? And the room got very silent and my life changed dramatically within a matter of weeks. Um, and I was being invited to places to talk about my ideas. And I was like, I'm talking about the same thing for 30 years, but 
because I was now posing it as a question rather than lecturing people on how there's enough to go around, if we could all figure out a way to do that. And when I started posing the question of, is there enough, people became responsible for that answer. So it became a community activity of a conversation of what is there enough of and what is there not enough of. And as one of my early students of this said, you know, the first time I ever heard you talk about this, I went home at night and I sort of laid up in bed and I realized there's a bunch of things that I worry about that there's really enough of. And there's other things I should be paying attention to that there really isn't enough of and we should be paying attention to that. And so as that conversation matured over the last few years to long story, make it short and having thousands of hours of conversation with hundreds of people in 25 countries, we came to understand that the conversation of examining what is there enough of, what is there not enough of, and doing it in a a group activity or a one-on-one activity, first of all, reveals very important things to each individual, but it also reveals a pathway by which human beings that would not normally agree or find collaboration, maybe they even detest the other side a little bit. (laughs) And we have massively rising uh, hate and conflict and tribalism in every country I visited, not just in the United States and Canada. But when people examine this question of is there enough and engage in the conversation we've learned to have about it, people are finding a bridge for collaboration and agreement, even amongst people they don't tolerate very easily. So it's quite a breakthrough conversation in this regard. You know, what I love about it is it's a conversation and it's a million conversations. You know, it's when you can sit down with someone who maybe your opinion is feels apart and you can sit down and have a conversation and that conversation may lead to an agreement. And that agreement then is the start of something very special. So I just want to jump back quickly for the audience. And, you know, where was this all inspired from? You know, what what was what's you said that, you know, you you, you met with people, you asked a question. But what was the cause and effect before that? Well, the the telling of the story that I said about being I was a student of students of Buckminster Fuller who were entrepreneurs themselves, ex hippies, basically, who you know wanted to make the world a better place through business. And so the seed was planted there. And in my mind, I've always been focused on it in one way or another. And around 2015, um, I helped start a social impact investment company, a small company with some innovation uh, coming out of London. And I found myself uh, with some of the initial projects we were investing in in Latin America. And when I was in Latin America, there was a whole crew of investors that were not really knowledgeable about the fact that you can actually pursue profit and good purpose at the same time, that that's that's a thing, which we today we call social impact investing. And and it has, you know, roots of 30 years on socially responsible investing, the now very controversial, I don't know how it became controversial, ESG is all part of that community of people who think it's upon themselves not only to make profit, but actually make the world a better place if they can and fascinated by why that's a threat to certain sectors in the world, even to pass legislation recently in Florida (laughs) against it. But human beings have the ultimate freedom to collaborate, and particularly with the technology that we have, to move business in a direction that doesn't just make a profit for the people running the business, but also can impact society in a positive way. So I've been involved in that for you know, 30 years up to the time of founding a social impact company. And as I was now educating investors to our model, one of the ways to make the world work for 100% of humanity is to finance it. <laughs> it requires enormous investment. For those that are familiar with the Sustainable Development Goals, which is a citizen-led project, even though the United Nations has its name attached to it, which was also developed in 2015. And these are goals for 2030 for human survival. Those 17 goals require about three and a half trillion dollars of investment that is not being made to reach those goals. In other words, you say, I'm going to build a bridge. It's going to cost me X amount of billion dollars. Then we have to do a bond issue, raise the money, build the bridge. And now we can connect Wales and and England, let's say, right? (laughs) 
And, and so, so that's a piece of infrastructure that's physical. I would suggest that the 17 sustainable development goals or things like it, because there's other goals that have been inspired now by those 17, the inner development goals or a few others besides the 17, the idea behind those is that they're all well and good so long as you have the investment for it. So we set out to create an independent, ownerless, global impact investment bank that can manufacture its own money to invest in these outcomes because governments manufacture money, right? So any what is a government but a coalition of individuals that over long periods of history have empowered a political and legal structure? Well, there's now a social and cultural and technological culture that uh, people can gather together and make things happen. Let me give you an example of a social impact investment. So we're about to announce, and this is, I'll announce it here on your podcast for the first time, first time ahead of our press release. Um, we're about to announce a relationship with an organization that has developed a container, which you can put trash into. And when I say trash, I mean any kind of trash from tires to medical waste to even you know water waste from from sewage, and you can put it into this reactor, and the reactor will turn around and break it all down into its constituent nanoparticle elements and convert it into other things on the outside that are things we need from fuel to water to food, graphite, graphene, and so on. It sounds like a dream, right? And it runs on nothing but solar power. Um, and uh, the organization behind it has also put financing together for it. And so Impact Launchpad, which is our company based out of the UK, is uh, about to start promoting that technology, which obviously can clean up a, a lot of a lot. what's going on in climate change, you know, because after coal, waste, after coal, not oil, but after coal, waste is the second biggest polluter that we have on the planet at this present time. So if we come in and do that for a large corporate organization that has a lot of refuse, but particularly municipalities, we can make a profit doing that because we're cleaning up their waste for them and they're going to pay us for that. And we have a business model for that. And yet it's doing something good for the planet at the same time. There's another technology where you can get all the water we ever need. And I mean, we ever need from the atmosphere and not from the ground, also powered only by the sun. So if you take those two examples, one of the conclusions you and I could make is that we have plenty of technology ready to go proven technology ready to go, but we have an implementation problem. We don't have an innovation. People think we're waiting for an innovation that's going to clean up clean up the carbon from the atmosphere. But we've already invented those technologies, but we haven't had the capital and the will. When I say the will, we tend to think of political will, but capital drives politics more than politics drives capital. And so I'm speaking on behalf of thousands and thousands of leaders in the social impact investment sector on everything I just said to you. The thing that makes us especially unique, though, is that we stumbled onto a conversation called Is There Enough that we started this uh, episode with accidentally when I was talking to a group of investors about this concept. And I went, isn't there enough for what we propose? <laughs> and and something happened in that room. The, the looks on their faces, the smiles, the sound was silent. A couple of weeks later, I was being given invitation to some halls of power that had never paid attention to me before. And I ended up visiting 22 countries on somebody else's dime in 2019, just on the basis of furthering this conversation called Is There Enough? that obviously you paid a lot of attention to over the last six or seven months. Well, what I found was when you asked me, what is there enough? And I went away and I thought about it. And then I reached out to you and I said, oh, my God, this is like the missing link that I've been searching for for probably the last 10 years. So there's, you know, that that story. And then you said to me, go away and interview 10 people and ask them, what is there enough of? Right. Or is there enough? And I asked them and I asked 20 people and now I'm asking everybody. And everybody is telling me something different, but it is at the end, and I love it at the end, is kind of saying, well, look, what are we going to do about it? But it, that, that question 
create something in the person personally which makes them change and for me i said it to you that i looked at my life and i said it on a new year's resolution i was going to try and be a better business person i was going to be a better father i was going to be a, a better husband and i was going to get fit so all these things that i contribute to what was enough of and that was me to be a better person with everyone around me and i realize it's a ripple effect that this is a one-to-one conversation in these conversations that if i say have more conversations with more people we might spark something which will reach a thousand a million people around the world or maybe more ever dreamed of having your own podcast look no further Our comprehensive podcast course will guide you through the process of building your reputation, growing your brand, and connecting with your network. With our course, you'll learn everything you need to know about creating a successful podcast, including choosing the right equipment, crafting engaging content, recording and editing techniques, marketing and promotion strategies, and many more. Whether you're a seasoned podcaster or just starting out, our course is designed to help you take your podcast to the next level. Don't miss out on this opportunity to build your brand and connect with your audience. Enroll in our course today. You know, obviously, uh, come to agree with that, even though this happened sort of accidentally, as I tell you the story, and now it's become, you know, a global thing and all that, and very much our our influence campaign, if you will, right? Um, But as I listen to you describing that, and those are real experiences that you've shared with me previously in your application of this conversation. I'm thinking somebody out there listening to us can't really grasp why this is a conversation to ask what is there enough is. And I think maybe we could break that down a little bit between us on behalf of the audience. You know, one of the things with a guest you have coming up, uh, one of my mentors we mentioned earlier, Marsha Martin, she says, everything in transformation begins with awareness. Now, she's not the first person to say that, but if you listen to Marsha really talk about that. It's like saying lots of people play the piano, but then there's a concert pianist. So when Marsha is talking about awareness, it's at a very deep set of insights that she's gained, that the mere awareness is what she would say is already beginning the process of transformation. And your questioning of what there is enough of and not enough of, which is the derivative of the is there enough question, right? It's it's not really a yes or no answer. It's situational and conditional. And it can be applied in many different situations, sometimes even with different words. Like I mentioned earlier that we're, we have a deficit of three and a half trillion as estimated in the global investment needed for uh, the sustainable development goals. So the question there, when you ask, is there enough more specifically is, how can we come up with three and a half trillion basically to save humanity if you believe that that's a thing? That's a that's a very is there enough style question in your relationship. It might be if you have two people that are very competitive with it with each other and it might be, well, how do we make enough room for both of us to shine? That's a very different question on how will I get the other person to shut up so I can speak? You get a different outcome based on different questions, right? Whether it's personal, global, social, doesn't matter. And so when we ask the question of, is there enough, and we begin to examine what there's enough of and what there's not enough of from my perspective, which is different than yours, and you've observed some of our research I've shared with you where no two people answer this question the same. You can go like card after card, because we have an online version of the conversation somebody can take at their own pace without it you know, being like face-to-face like this. And we've collated those responses we've gotten, and we've never seen two that look exactly the same. And this is after thousands of hours and hundreds and hundreds of people in different cultures and ages and backgrounds. So when we apply this question as a lens, we then put clarity on what there's not enough of. Now, my friends in the consciousness movements that I've been attached to or a part of or everything else are very fearful in some cases of me talking about what there's not enough of because they think that inflates the scarcity mindset that they want everybody to get away from as if there's scarcity and abundance and nothing in between. I think that's part of our problem is that we look at things by extremes rather than nuance. And the nuance here is that, yeah, in the aggregate, there's enough of everything. 
in the aggregate, there's enough of absolutely everything, including everything you think we don't have enough of if you're listening to this energy resource. When you hear people saying that the planet is finite resources, the universe is not finite. It's just not. And there's no reason to assume that our resources are finite. They're finite on the way we use them in the past, but they're not finite on how we're about to use them going in the future. And I've given some examples already um, that point to that. So the question then becomes is, well, if we find that there's a scarcity of leadership or a scarcity of courage, or maybe in some parts of Africa uh, in the desert, there's a scarcity of water and food. So it's very much a practical examination. Once we get to the definition truly with clarity of what there's not enough of, then we get to the question of, okay, what are we going to do about it? It's because, you know, the interviews that I conducted, you know, someone said, you know, there wasn't enough trust, not enough love, not enough money, not enough curiosity, you know, not enough food, not enough water, not enough clean air. Like it was amazing to listen to all the different people's points of views when you ask them that question. So with all these questions and all these curiosities being exposed, where do you start? Where do you start? to try and go, okay, let's see what we can do about it. If there's so many of them, a vast amount of them, you can only start on the first one or two. So where do you start? One of my advisors who took a hard look at everything we're doing, I mean, spent 20, 30 hours pouring all of it about a year ago. And he said, one of the reasons why is there enough is such a fascinating question is because it provokes an examination under ambiguity. Like I just talked about clarity and ambiguity sounds like the opposite of clarity, (laughs) but sometimes tolerating an ambiguous question without immediately having an answer is part of the process of finding the answer. Um, Think about the movie Apollo 13. If you've ever seen it, there's a scene where um, the engineers on the ground in Houston have 90 minutes to make a square peg fit a round hole so that the astronauts can survive. And they don't have a choice. They have to do it. And they, they're asking these questions. Well, what if we do this? What if we do this? No, that's crazy. It's like in a writer's room, which I've been part of in my media background, you're throwing around 16 or 17 jokes or stories that everybody hates before you come up with a brilliant one. And there's a professional tolerance required for that job. And we have a, we have a, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but even a moral responsibility to ask the solution question, even when we don't have the answer. That's step one is, tolerating that ambiguity. The second step is to focus on what we do know and what we can agree on, even if it's simple, and then put our work on the stuff we can't figure out yet, because you need that as a base to collaborate from. We're very well known by people who know us well as as being masters of stating the obvious. Like there is a value in you and I saying, no matter the fact that you come from Ireland and I come from Canada, we're both human beings. Saying that out loud has a collaborative effect. And thinking that it doesn't, I can give you social research where we've put an American Trump lover, an American Trump hater in the same room, required them to say, let's first agree we're both Americans and now let's argue, compared to not requiring that ritual, and we have very different outcome. Because one of the other things you can cover with Marsha, I'm sure, is the power of intentionality. We tend to think of the power of intentionality as an individual course, like my intention to, you know, be this or do this or have this, you know, in terms of my goals. But when you get two people or even a group of people putting intentionality on finding agreement, even if it seems difficult and making that the highest pursuit, the mere intention of finding agreement does that. So in answering your question of where do you go with what are we going to do about it, it starts with the ambiguity. And then the second thing that gets added to it is a commitment to the idea that there is an answer we haven't found, just like those engineers on the ground who only have those 90 minutes. And there you get into where I'll land my plane on on this long answer to your question is, well, am I enough to do that? Because one of the things that surprised me about this conversation was people coming back to me with the response to is there enough was, well, yeah, there's enough, but am I enough? And followed closely by, 
are we enough, an organization, a relationship, a family, and even a nation? Because I've traveled to a few nations in at this point. There are certain nations that have an identity and a character that they're not enough. And they actually have more value to offer to the world, but they walk around with a chip on their shoulder. And I won't name who those nations are because I don't want to embarrass anybody or, or cause harm in that statement. But but there are nations as well as individuals who carry around this chip on their shoulder that they're not enough. The first thing then when we trade and going, who are those people or nations? I'm thinking that. I'm sure we're the, everyone is asking talk about that question. Yeah. <laughs> but the one thing, if someone's listening to this and they're going, oh, my God, even the even an engineer is going, oh, my God, this is this is such a great interview. And, and they're learning so much about it. So as we're continuing this conversation and someone goes, this is brilliant. This is what I've been looking for. This is, you know, this is something I can I can participate in. So is it a community? Is it a culture? What is it? This is something we put a lot of thought into this question you're asking, because people have called it different things. Um, not only have I had it called a culture, I even had it called a cult. There were people that met in Clubhouse in 2021, about a dozen of them, to discuss is what Daniel Madelon talking about. Is that a cult? And it is a culture. It's a culture of agreement over conflict, not love over peace, which are beautiful things and things I devoted my life to in every way possible. But until I got to posing the question of is there enough and recognizing that wealth and power and justice and almost anything you want to qualify as a better life is built by agreement, not by resources. Wealth is built by agreement, not by resources. When you recognize that everything you have that you consider a value came about in some way by agreement, even being born into a certain family, because you can be born into a certain family and become the black sheep or you can become something else. Agreement is a factor in every aspect and every moment of life. When, when we get to that recognition, then it's a question of, what sort of conversation produces more agreement or what sort of other activities produce agreement? We're not the only way to produce collaboration agreement. We need thousands of flowers blooming on that. But the issue really comes down to if you see it as a philosophy, because you could listen to this conversation, it could sound like a philosophy, or you see it as a cult if you take a negative approach to it, or a culture if you take a positive approach to it. Um, I've had people refer to it as almost like a cultural global party, like a political party, but it doesn't have a political arm, right? It's like a credo of 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 culture, like you're talking about with a little more action to it than just culture, a little bit more proactive and all of that. At the end of the day, I go, you know, oh, I even had somebody get this. I had somebody say that it was a religion without a God, and it was not a positive statement <laughs> when they made that that for that person, right? And I say, if you want to call it a religion or a philosophy or a culture or a cult or any of that stuff, at the end of the day, the only reason you got that impression was because you engaged in a conversation. So the conversation is like a stone in the water. And you mentioned before all the ripple effects without me prompting. You talked about its ripple effect. Buckminster Fuller, who this is all derived around Buckminster Fuller, we're really the conversation of the world game is really what we are. Buckminster Fuller said one of the most important things for us to understand in science is the impact of the ripple effect, which he mathematically defines. He said, the bee is, is chasing honey. It doesn't know it's cross-pollinating. The ripple effect of chasing the honey is creating the whole ecosystem, right? And he said, human beings are exactly like that. In his time, he called them money-honey chasing bees. And the ripple effect was everything that happened. And you can have positive ripples and you can have negative ripples. You can, have, you can have constructive ripples and you can have destructive ones. He would say a lot of times you don't know what your purpose is, but if you pay attention to the ripples, then you know that you're dropping the right stones. And if your ripples are not so good, maybe you should change where you're dropping your stones. One of the things is about, you know, you said it there earlier, disagreement. And the world is made up of so many disagreements and yet speak to someone and people will tell you more, especially in Ireland, complain more about what's going on than actually realizing all the good things in their lives. So the agreement part, what steps 
or what agreements have you seen put in place or do you visualize being put in place so people actually can stop disagreeing and start communicating better? So this is a very elusive term that we talk about as agreement, and it's the best word we have, and maybe it will evolve over time because what we're talking about in the pursuit of agreement must tolerate disagreement in order to find new agreement. The opposite of agreement is not disagreement in my research. The opposite of agreement is war. We're saying that agreement is a value, not just a transaction, right? It is a transaction. If you and I agree to meet today at this time and I don't show up at the time that you've set up with your engineer and everything, we're going to have some conflict fallout from that just by not meeting the time agreement, right? So it's a big part of integrity to not only make agreements, but actually keep them because that's how we build trust. And would you agree with me? We have a deficit of trust and not enough of trust in the world. Yeah. And I haven't found anybody that doesn't think these two things, we talked about all the things that people do in this question that are different. There's a couple of commonalities. Everybody agrees that there's too much fear. Everybody agrees that there's not enough trust. And I say, well, if you can manufacture some new agreement, even if it's small, it's not zero, you're moving the needle towards trust and away from fear, which is Again, it may be small and inconsequential, but if it's done over hundreds of thousands and millions of people eventually, which is really just a media and a technology organization campaign, you know, to to broaden this conversation you and I are having, people listening to this, maybe somebody out there becomes inspired to do something, maybe we don't even know about it. That's what we talk about with the ripple effects. But if we start to move the water from the stone in the water dropping towards the conversation of agreement and away from conflict, And disagreement is not conflict if it's handled in a manner which seeks to find new agreement. I don't want to change you. You don't want to change it. When we talk about transformation, that's a very individual sort of set of intentions, right? It's not to tell you how to be or you to tell me how to be, but we can change the conditions and the choices we have to offer. Because up to this point in this conversation we're having today, we went from is there enough to what is there enough of and not enough of? with a big focus on the not enoughs, because the not enoughs is the scarcities and the things we really value. Like in your case and mine, we think there's not enough leadership and courage and so on. Um, But then the question comes down to what are we going to do about it? It being, I'm just reviewing right now, it being what there's not enough of. And when we get to the not enough and what are we going to do about it, in my opinion, and I know if your audio listeners will hear this, but my hands are in two different directions. We're either going to go in the direction of conflict and war or we're gonna find agreement. And my argument is twofold. Number one, if we go to conflict and war, and I don't mean nations at war, right? I'm talking about war in business, war in relationships, war in families, war in friendships, war in everyday life, in language, right? When people go, oh, I crushed it, I'm blowing up, right? These are all, everything we do in business and achievement is a derivative of the 20th century of war in our everyday language. And so so when we find ourselves prone to conflict and war, I would then say, well, why wouldn't we? We come from 250,000 years of war. Uh, we could argue over the number. I know it's safely more than 70,000. Some people tell me, you know, we could safely say 250,000 years of war. So are we just going to, because you and I are products of war, your engineer is a product of war, everybody listening to this is a product of war, or you wouldn't be here. And so are we just going to wake up in the 21st century and go, oh, yeah, we're peaceful people. (laughs) And I mean, I've seen people who are in the peace movement at war with each other. So 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 this is how pervasive this is. So it's an individual commitment. And I know you have something coming up on commitment. So we'll put this to the test with that. But, you know, because commitment's even higher than agreement. But we need to make an individual commitment on behalf of our history to say, I am going to pursue the rest of my life towards finding agreement wherever I possibly can, not compromise, not like making myself agreeable to the other parties so they can like me, but I mean, actually finding new agreement and particularly with people that I don't tolerate very well uh, or agree with very easily. That's where the gold is. Because remember I said wealth is built by agreement. Well, it's not built by old agreement. That's already been done. 
If you want to make wealth, you need to build new agreement. It's a cultural focus, not just a transactional focus. That makes sense. Two words that are popping up in my head when you're talking about these conflicts and about agreements. The two words popped up is envy and pride. And they are two words that can be ingrained into two people that are a conflict with each other. And it can only be recognize with them if maybe a third party was to sit down with them like an arbitrator to kind of go look here's the problem that we see we need you to come to the middle of the table and talk so an agreement can be worked out so do you see is there enough as like an arbitration this kind of like the question of is it a religion, a culture, uh, a movement, a this or that, and it all just sort of comes out of the conversation and it has those impacts, right? So that from where I sit, having been inside this for a few years, that's kind of my my response. I don't know if that's satisfying to you. Um, I think that... Um, no, I, I tell you why, because for me, I see it now possibly as being bringing people as an arbitrator to arbitration because this conversation if they're willing to talk about it this conversation which you had back in 2015 and you know we had early last year is the start of something from people to talk yeah i mean i think the only distinction i'll make between arbitration i've had people talk to me about the harvard negotiation process that this sounds somewhat similar like um, and I'm happy for all of those uh, associations. But at the end of the day, it's a conversation of discovery that you can do on your own. Like we have, a, as I said, an online version that people can do just by themselves. You can have it one-on-one -on -one, and you can have it with a group. Like when we're talking about how will we raise three and a half trillion to fulfill the sustainable development goals, that's a group conversation within our community. That's not an individual conversation. The pursuit of the question with, with the tolerance of not knowing the answer and ambiguity, as I said, that's sort of a necessary attitude until you find some answers to work on. Um, that in and of itself, the mere pursuit is enough. And we've identified this already by going, if you have these two uh, Americans, one Trump lover, one Trump hater, and they make an obvious agreement that they're both Americans, they've started on a pathway, whether they realize it or not, towards eking out some other agreements on the basis of the obvious ones. And if you treat it from that fashion with envy you talked about and pride, what is envy but a not enough expression? Well, he's got it, but there's not enough for me. That's envy, right? If there really is enough to go around, you don't have that envy, right? And I'm not saying the person who experiences envy is wrong. I'm just defining the fact that at that moment that they're experiencing envy, it's because they have a desire to have what the other has. Well, you can convert that envy into going out and making agreements until you do, <laughs> is number one. And the pride thing is uh, we like to be right. We do not like to be wrong. If you look at the greatest obstacle to transformation, I would invite you to ask Marsha Martin if she agrees with this, because I've never asked her. But personally, I think that the greatest obstacle to transformation is ego, because sometimes transformation involves me letting go of a very, very prized held belief. That prized held belief could have come from my grandfather, and it might have worked for my grandfather in his time. So I might even feel some betrayal of going against that culture in order to you know, see it in another way. That's how core this is to our sense of self and identity, which is why I said it bridges to not just an individual, but even all the way up to a nation. And even humanity itself. Humanity itself is one whole being, in my view. And it has characteristics, and it has emotions, and it has aspirations, and it has petty envies. And, and, it, and at the end of the day, the, the conflict versus agreement, the war versus agreement, is a human responsibility. It's not nations. When you go, oh, I don't know what you're talking about between war and agreement, because I'm not picking up any guns. But your conversation posing that, let's say, if you're on the left and you think that the right is your enemy or you're on the right and you think the left is your enemy, which didn't used to exist once upon a time in my time of living on this planet, that we looked at the other side as enemies, not just the other side. 
And, and when we get to that place where we see people like that, we're exhibiting a war us and them tendency. And we as individuals have to take it upon ourselves in order to replace war with something else. And telling people to just put down their war weapons and just be peaceful never is going to work because whatever you're worrying about is still an issue. If you want to resolve the issue so there isn't a condition for conflict, you're going to have to replace it with finding new agreement. And let me be so specific on here for anyone who doubts what I'm saying. In uh, in the Middle East, the Palestinians and the Israelis have never bombed their energy grid that they share. I found an economics paper from some Israeli economists who make a distinction that when we go and negotiate with the Palestinians on things that are related to land-based things like water rights, it's all about geopolitics. But when we talk about stuff that's flying through the air, which there's enough of, which is that energy through the energy grid, it's all about the economics, right? So these things really matter on a day-to-day basis. That's why I don't think this is mere philosophy or mere culture. This has real-world implications. That's funny, because that brings up the next question for people out there. What's in it for me? Mm-hmm. You know, people will ask that question. So mm-hmm. trying to let's call it now, let's say a culture. OK, mm-hmm. to get people involved in this culture and mm-hmm. for them, you know, who go, OK, I would like to be part of this or I can see the true benefit in this. And I really like what Daniel's saying and I want to get involved. Mm-hmm. What's in it for me? What is in it for people that kind of raise their hands and go, look, what can I do? What can, what can we do to get involved? I'm really glad you asked this question. I think in order for the world to work for 100 percent of humanity it has to work for all points of view. And there are certain categorical points of view that we've evolved in our in our brains in anthropology of people who are more social value oriented and others who are more individualistic values oriented. And the social tend to think that the individual are selfish and the individual tend to think that the social are dreamers and you know are not dealing with the real world and they don't meet. And I would suggest to you that we've made very clear the social impact value of having more agreement than less. We could also say that agreement has been used to create slavery. So agreement itself is not a moral value by itself. It depends on what its purpose and what it's used for. And so if the social group used it to impinge on the individual's rights and individual's values, that's not a good outcome. And that will eventually lead to a new conflict and war. And so for those who are socially oriented, it's a way to make a difference. There are very few things you can get involved in that can actually you know, be fairly easily done without a lot of other people's permission, like you going out and interviewing 10, 20, or how many people you've done, and what impact it's had on those people, what impact it's had on you. The answer to your question of what's in it for that person is one, We a lot of us feel like we don't have a way to make a difference. And this conversation, I can guarantee you from observation, is a way you can literally make a difference. There's even one of those 17 sustainable development goals we mentioned, number 17, the last one is called collaboration for the goals. We need much more collaboration on the planet than we have right now. If you're individually oriented, however, and you don't really care about, then that's okay. Making the world work for 100% of humanity, it's just enough to make my world work for me or 100% of my tribe or my family or whatever. Name me a pursuit in life that you would not benefit from and succeed more in by being better at agreement. Now we're back to the analogy to the Harvard negotiation skills and all of those things that people sometimes relate us to. My promise to you was, and my promise to anybody listening is, that if you allow us to share with you the construct of this conversation, we've got you know a little training of about 30 minutes to teach you how to go have the conversation with people, and you go out and talk to 10 people with this conversation, My guarantee to you is you'll become better at agreement for the rest of your life, like a permanent software upgrade. And I don't mean your ability to, you know, get transactions, but to actually produce agreement that builds you longstanding wealth. If all you're interested in is what's in it for me, that's it right there. I can agree with that statement 100% because I have gone and acted on it from a conversation that we had. It's a great way for people that are listening who go, okay, what's the next step? 
And as you say, that next step is going online, having a look and having that conversation then with other people, because I have to say it's life changing. Well, I really appreciate that reinforcement of that, of of what personal effects it's had for you. There are basically, there are four ways you can replicate this conversation for yourself. Let's call this the home game. Number one, uh, when you go to our website, isthereenough.org, you will see a survey. This survey takes about 25 minutes to do. So you should sit down with a cup of coffee when you're ready for it. And it walks you through the conversation of is there enough. And it makes our case for something we've not said in this uh, particular conversation you and I are having. It makes our case why humanity needs a treaty. If if what we're saying is that we come from, you know, 70,000 plus years of war, so it's very difficult for us to kind of evolve out of that. We're saying that we need a treaty of humanity, of individuals, not nations. And we're releasing that later this year with some highfalutin, you know, name brand recognition endorsements, and there'll be a big media campaign around it. But people listening to this can become involved in the pre-launch of that treaty and say, you know what, I'm going to stand up to be one of those individuals that says I'm going to make a commitment to agreement over war. Now, maybe we don't reach our goals and it doesn't have the effect, but how many times a week are you offered to have a potential chance to make a difference in humanity? And we're going to issue 100 million certificates of this um, of this treaty. We're going to issue an NFT. We call it an NF treaty, not an NF token, but an NF treaty. Um, and there's even small economic rewards that are associated with people that actually sign this treaty. Um, it's kind of a business model all in and of itself. And every time somebody agrees to be part of the pre-launch or signs that treaty, they are fueling our ability to have this conversation with more people. The treaty is something of a marker, but it's the conversation that leads to the treaty that's the real impact on making world peace on a grassroots level. So there's the survey, there's the treaty. Those are two things. And the third thing is what we've already mentioned, where you took on the task of going out and interviewing 10 people and then coming back and reporting to me and debriefing what that experience was. So all four of those are very tangible. And of course, if anybody listening out there is mildly entertained but doesn't want to do any of those things, please follow our social media because that also, of course, lets the world know that we're going from an in-real-life conversation to an online conversation, which is literally the transition we're in right now. So every little bit of that helps us. The fourth thing may be the most interesting, and and that is uh, the experience of is there enough in a 2.0 specific application? What we mean by that is that you take the hashtag of is there enough and you apply it to a specific, for example, a conversation called is there enough water? Is there enough courage? Is there enough truth? (laughs) Is there enough space for you and me in our relationship? If it's about the relationship, the application of is there enough to a specific issue leads you to an examination within that issue of what there's enough of and not enough of with that issue. So if you do, is there enough truth, we end up having a conversation about what news is and what truth is and is there truth or is it all subjective and what it has a tendency to do in this 2.0 format, Joe, is bring and convene people who have interests in that issue, but it it has a remarkable capability to build consensus in that issue where normally there's much more conflict within our own tribes, within our own focuses, within our own interests. So in therefore, in that fourth version, the examination value of is there enough is like a, it's like a, a magnifying glass and a and a clarity making kind of linguistic tool to go, You know, some of the things we worry about, we really have enough of. And some of the things we really don't have enough of, we're not paying enough attention to. And when you put it to something like water or truth, it's remarkably constructive, which is why it creates safety for people to collaborate. So those are the four ways you can apply it at home. Daniel, have we left anything out? I know we could speak for hours, but, you know, have we left anything out? No, I think we're at this very simple supposition that ordinary everyday human beings like you and me in collaboration with a bunch of others can make a difference if we agree to if we participate 
This is a world game, not a war game. Our conversation is a world game conversation to replace our tendencies to war. And I would say that if we did this well enough here in 2023, 2024, in 10 years from now, certainly in 20 years from now, where we'll be dealing with a lot of adversity coming at us from climate change, we'll have more of a culture of collaboration and agreement because in future scarcities, we are going to have, and we are going to have them, we're going to have more of a tendency to bring out our war weapons if we don't do something about that then if we start to realize, if I do go to war about what there's not enough of, I'm just going to lose a lot of time, blood, and treasure just getting to an agreement called a treaty anyway, which is why we named this a treaty. This is the treaty to end all treaties. Because if there's nobody left to pick up a gun, then the future nations will not be able to bring leaders into place that go to war because their population will not stand for it. If you really want to end war on this planet, I don't believe it can happen at a nation state level. It must happen at the grassroots level. Yes, community level, definitely. As someone said to me during the week, I see it offering great hope. I think it's a good thing to end on this note that if you do see some hope in this conversation, which we tend to think of in a very idealistic way, well, let's just hope things are better. But I think the experience of hope people are having in this conversation is around two things. Clarity, because we worry about a lot of things we shouldn't, and we don't worry enough about some things we should. So clarity is important. But the second part is that personal responsibility that comes out of this question, where if you really want to make a difference, and I know almost everybody listening to you does, what comes with that is the responsibility to do something to make a difference and take the risk that you might look a little foolish or you might look a little silly or you might make some mistakes that go wrong. That's really what holds us back from humanity evolving. Remember I said transformation, the barrier is ego. I don't want to look bad, so I won't take that action. And then we go around saying, where are our leaders? Where are our leaders? And we're looking for them in politics when they should be coming from ourselves. Daniel? As always, it's a pleasure and it's great to have you on our show as a, uh, the fresh new guest and inspiration for all our audience. So I thank you for coming on, Daniel. I really appreciate the attention you brought to this. I hope we'll have many conversations in the future. And I know that the people listening to you are of the same focus that you are. So this is really, you know, this, this Joe Dalton nation is one that, you know, we want to have a lot more conversation with. <laughs> <laughs> yes but no one can stand on me though that's the only thing daniel right. thank you thank you joe